I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 17. This morning is our last Sunday in our commissioned series, as Brother Kevin has already said. And what I hope that's been seen is as a church, we've been commissioned by our risen Lord to an action that has been entrusted to us. And we've looked through the Gospels and we've sought to get an understanding of what this mission is and what we have been handed as a task. So Matthew's Gospel taught us that we're to make disciples by reaching them and teaching them of that good news. And Mark's Gospel taught us that we're to go to all nations. Luke's Gospel we looked at last week, said that we're to proclaim the Word of God with Jesus at the center and the Gospel at the call. I believe, and one of the things I'm thankful for as we look to God's Word, is that the Lord has never been hazy or unclear as to what we're be, to be doing. He really hasn't left us guessing at all. He's told us plainly and clearly what our mission is, what our calling is, what we are sent to do. And today, we turn to John's Gospel, and the passage we'll consider is found in the middle of chapter 17. The middle of chapter 17, John 17. John 17, I probably do not have to tell you, is a special passage. It's the prayer of Jesus with His disciples. This was after he had spent time teaching him. This will be the night that he would be betrayed. They're still in the upper room. They just, he just instituted the Lord's Supper. He just told them about his death and, and what would happen. He broke the bread and he, he passed out the wine and he, he gave them that. and He just instituted it. And, and, and Judas had already gone out. He'd already left. And they're there together. And Jesus prays for his disciples. And in reality, when we read this, uh, Jesus not only prays for His disciples, but He prays for those who would believe because of their testimony. And guess who that is, brothers and sisters? That's us. Now just stop for a moment and think about this. Jesus prays for us. Our great intercessor in action, right? The, the King of kings and Lord of lords has offered up His prayers on our behalf, on mine and your behalf. And so here in John 17, we want to hear what he says as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And the portion I want to draw your attention to begins in verse 15. Begins in verse 15. John chapter 17, verse 15, and we'll read down through verse 19. John 17, 15 through 19. Jesus again praying says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for our Savior Christ who not only died for us but intercedes on our behalf. We thank you, Father, that we can read the words that he himself prayed for us even. And God, as we read them, as we, as we 
Take them in, Father. Help us. Help us to understand the call that we have in our life to love one another, to serve one another, to die to our sins and our selfishness and to live for Christ. Father, help us to do that even now as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. When we had our fourth child, we found out it would be a son. Now, many people have asked, there's seven years between our third and our fourth, so many people asked, was that planned? And I said, yeah, it was planned. But then after we had him, we were like, "Uh uh-oh, what what are we doing? I was 40 years old, and Allison was 37, so we had him, and he was was there, and he's a a bundle of joy. And we we came down to how we were going to name him, what we were going to name him. And for the first time in naming him, Allison actually let me have some say in it. And so I said, I've always wanted to name my son Patton. P-A-T-O-N, pronounced Patton. Patton was named after my favorite missionary. My favorite missionary biography is of a man named John G. Patton. John G. Patton was born in the 19th century, 1824, if you will, in Scotland. He grew up there in Scotland as a a faithful follower of Christ and, and got called into the ministry in his town of Glasgow. And he began to to work as a missionary in his town, a local missionary, and even as a pastor in a church in Glasgow. He was much loved by the people he served. He was much loved by those that he was was preaching to every week. And no doubt, as he was preaching to them every week, loved by them, no doubt it struck the church as odd when Patton came up and said that he and his wife, his newly uh, married to wife, were moving to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. The New Hebrides Islands, deep in the South Pacific, especially the island of Tana, where he wanted to serve, was populated with cannibals. In fact, some years before, two missionaries were sent from England to Tana, and both of those missionaries gotten there, and before long, they were beaten, killed, and eaten because of the cannibals that lived on that island. Some 20 years later, Patton was impressed by the need of the gospel to go. He had heard what the commission was to go to all nations. He had heard what he was called to do. And the Lord began to impress upon him that those, as he termed them, savages in Tana, needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he began to make preparations to head to the South Pacific. Many tried to deter him because of their love for him. Many believed that if he were to go, that would be it. He would be killed just as the, as the missionaries that were killed before. Their fear of going to the cannibals in the South Seas began to swell up, and, and they urged Patton not to go. One particular man was named Mr. Dixon. And Patton writes about him in his autobiography. Patton says that Mr. Dixon constantly argued to him, constantly came up to him and said, the cannibals, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And Patton responded, finally, having heard enough. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. He was a gentleman. Easy way of telling him he was old. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, 
that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. John G. Patton knew. John G. Patton understood what he had been sent to do. And he knew not only had he been sent by his Lord to do it, not only had he been commissioned by the King of Kings, the resurrected Lord, to go and sent by him to go to those islands, he also knew that the Lord had prayed for him. He also knew that the Lord was interceding on his behalf. And my desire, and my desire this morning as we preach, is that all of us would know what we have been sent to do and know that our Lord has prayed for us as we go. Just as John G. Patton understood it. So what is it that we're sent to do? Where is it that we're sent to go? Our passage teaches us, and we're going to see these this morning, I believe, quickly. First, our passage tells us this morning that we have been sent into the world. Just as John G. Patton was sent to those islands in the South Pacific, we as believers have been sent into the world. In John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus explains that those who do not believe in Him are from the world. He says, He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. When Jesus is discussing world in John's Gospel, what He oftentimes wants to be understood is the world as this system or this authority that dominates the thinking of this place. It dominates the opposition to the Lord. As we see, this world is run by the prince and power of the world, Satan himself. And so Jesus sees the world as an opposition to Himself. Jesus sees the world as an opposition to what He desires, what He longs for. The system that is in place that is seeking to oppose the Lord and not follow after Him. In fact, Jesus says Himself that the world hated Him. The world hated Him in John 15. If the world hates you, know it hated me before it hates you, Jesus says. But as you look at John 15 and consider that passage in John 15, 18. If you just look there at verse 19, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know it's hated me before it hated you. You were of the world. The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is saying there's this identity here for the believer. Either you are of this world or you are not. And those who are believers have been called out of the world and are not of it. We need to remember in Scripture that there is no middle ground. We call it the law of the excluded middle, right? Either you're a child of God or you're not. Either you're walking on the narrow path or you're walking on the wide path. Either you have been born again or you're still dead in your sins. Either you are following after Jesus or you are not. Either you are of this world or you are not. Oftentimes we like to think there's some gray middle ground, but not in God's Word. God's Word says either you are His or you are not His. Either you are welcome into the kingdom or you are not welcome into the kingdom. And so over and over again, Jesus is making a strong distinction. And He says here, either you are of this world or you are not of this world. And those who do not follow Me, those who are not pursuing after Me, are of this world. And so Jesus says that if you're His child, if you're His child, that you're not of it. You're not a part of it. 
The Lord has called His disciples out of the world. He's called them to remove themselves in many ways from the world's thinking, the world's ways, the world's authority. He's saying you don't follow what the world does. You don't do what the world does. We're separate from it. Even in verse 17. In verse 17 here in John 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Lord says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means set apart. Pull them out. Set them apart for something. Set them apart by the truth. And so, ultimately, what is guiding our decisions? What is guiding our life? What is guiding our hearts? Either it is worldly wisdom and worldly thought, or it is God's Word that's guiding us. It's God's Word or worldly wisdom. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, my disciples are not of this world. If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, then you're not to be like the world. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you're not to be like the world. You may say, well, well let's consider some passages here. We all know the famous John 3.16, right? For God so loves the world. And maybe, maybe we should be like God and we should love the world. But, but don't forget that the same one who reported to us the statement of Christ, for God so loved the world, is the same one who wrote the letter of 1 John. And where in 1 John he says, verse 2.15, Do not love the world. Do not love the world. Why is this? Because we need to understand the, the distinction between God's love and our love. God's love is redemptive. When God loves something, He redeems it. Our love is participatory. When we love something, we partake in it. And what the Lord is saying here is this. When we demonstrate our love, our love should be toward God and we partake in the things of God. We partake in the Word of God. We partake in the truth of God. We're not to partake in the things of this world. We're not to partake in the things that this world has to offer. When we love, we join in. So we do not join in with this world. And why would we? For it says that the world is fading away. It's passing away. It is darkness. We should not want to look like this world. We should not want to be like this world as God's people. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus does not want His believers to be taken out of this world. Why is that? Because we see why we were sent into it. We're sent into it to be lights. We're sent into it to be witnesses. The world is darkness, is fading away, but, but we are the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I'm not taking them out of the world, I'm sending them into it. They are not of it, although they are witnesses to it. They're going into the world to be witnesses. We've heard this before, we are in it, but not of it. In other words, we are to be different. We shine as lights in the world. We do not take part of the world's things. We shine as lights to the world. And we cannot be lights into the world if we are taking part in what the world does. And so Jesus doesn't pray for them to be removed from the world. He doesn't come in and say, take them out. Don't make them deal with the worldly things. Don't make them deal with that stuff. In fact, he says, I'm not asking you to do that, Lord. I'm telling you that when they go in there, make them strong as lights for the gospel. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. If you've been sent into the world by Jesus Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you need to know that you have a target on your back. 
The devil is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. We've talked about this before, even in our short time here. We've understood this. The devil is looking to bring down anyone that is seeking to be a light. He's looking to snuff out anything that leads to the gospel of Jesus Christ and brings the hope of eternity. He's looking to end it all. So Jesus says, Lord, don't take them out of it, but protect them from it. I love the passage in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had been witnessing before the, Ky- the council of Caiaphas and others, the very ones who put Jesus to death on the cross. And remember, when they stepped up witnessing in Acts chapter 4, we're on the other side of the resurrection, so Peter and John know who's win- know, knows who wins this thing, right? And so as they step there, they look up and, and, and Caiaphas tells them to don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they said, I don't know about you, Caiaphas, but we answer to a greater power. We can't shut up about this. And we're going to keep talking. So they beat Peter and John and told them, if you do it again, we're going to kill you. And so Peter and John left as they let them go, trying to scare the other disciples. And they go back to find the disciples. If you remember in Acts 4, the the young lady comes as they knock on the door and she doesn't even open the door. She runs back and tells them, leaves them outside. Finally, they come in and Peter and John relate everything that had just happened to them, how they had beaten, how they'd been told not to speak anymore. And what did the disciples pray? It's fascinating. They don't pray, Lord, let the persecution stop. They don't pray, Lord, let them end this. They don't pray any of that. They pray, Lord, in light of what's happening, in light of the persecution, in light of what's coming to us, give us more boldness. And so it is that Christ says here in John 17, Lord, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to set them apart to know that it is your word, Lord, that gives them life. It is your word that strengthens them. It is your word that guides them. It's your word that directs them. Please let them know, Father, that the world, the world is passing away. It is fading away. And even though the devil is coming to them, he's pursuing after them to destroy them. Protect them from him, Lord. Jesus has prayed for us. We have been sent into the world and Jesus has prayed for us. He's given us His Word as the standard. It's all we need. He's given us His strength as our operation and the Spirit within us as we go. I'm reminded again of a passage that strikes me every time whenever Jesus tells Peter that He's going to deny him three times. He says to Peter, Peter, you need to know that Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Just as this we see Protect us from the evil one. Peter, you need to know that Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But then Jesus says the next line. But Peter, I have prayed for you. Folks, we must not forget that the Lord has sent us into this world and He has prayed for us as we go. And we find His strength and His power as we move through it. To shine as lights in the darkness. But what does it mean for us then? If we've been sent into the world to shine as lights into the darkness, if we are in it but not of it, how have we been sent? What are we to go doing? How are we to live in light of this? We see this down in verse 18. Jesus praying, He says, As you sent Me, speaking to the Father, as you sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are sent into the world just like Jesus was sent into the world. And how was Jesus and what was Jesus sent to do? First, we are sent to love. We are sent to love. In a world where hate reigns, 
In a world where division is seen as priority. In a world where argumentation leads to anger and disruption and separating peoples and pulling them away. Jesus comes in and He places the emphasis on love. Whenever it was come and they said, how do you summarize the law? And you know they got the ten. How do we summarize that? And Jesus says what? Here's the first commandment. More important than all the others. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. The first thing that marks us as God's people is our love for God. But then he follows up. He doesn't want his disciples just to, to get that piece. He follows up with the second one. He said the second commandment is just like the first. Right there with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the greatest commandment for us is to love. The greatest commandment we can display is love. Jesus is our example in this. In John 13, 34, listen to what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, your love, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Jesus says, I've demonstrated this. I've given you this commandment. I've demonstrated this, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. In our call that we are sent, we see that our demonstration of love falls just in line with Christ and His demonstration of love for us. In other words, He's our example. He's not just commanding us to do something he has already done what He's commanded us to do. Therefore, the command comes to us and we can look to Christ as our example in following it. We're to love the Great Commission that we have studied and looked at. The Great Commission cannot happen without the Great Commandment. The Great Commission cannot happen without the Great Commandment. We're called to go to all nations and make disciples, reaching them and teaching them. Those things cannot happen without us loving God and loving neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor. And how do we display that love? By serving. We are sent to serve. We're sent to love. We're sent to serve. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I am sending you. And in our service, our greatest example is Jesus Christ. Just think of who He is and what He has done. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the eternal Son of God. He always has existed, yet He left His throne in heaven to come to earth. And what did He come to do? He came to serve. His service for us was on display in so many different ways and so many different, so many different times. We see it most evidently as when He washed His disciples' feet. He came to serve and He says, just as I am serving you and washing your feet, you are to go do that to others. He's not telling us that we got to walk up to everybody and wash feet. He's telling us that we have an example laid out by Him that we are to serve one another, humbly laid out before us. The example is in the service here. But not only that, not only that, think about what Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Now if you consider what he's saying, Jesus' favorite moniker of himself was Son of Man. It came directly from Daniel chapter 7, 
where the Son of Man has accomplished all that He needs to accomplish and He appears before the Ancient of Days and there the Son of Man was given the dominion and authority and power and a kingdom that will never perish. It is an eternal kingdom. And Jesus says the One who has all authority, all power, all dominion, and His kingdom will never perish is the One who came down to serve His people. He's the one who came to serve us. And how did He most clearly serve us? His greatest display of service was not in washing the disciples' feet. His greatest display of service was in dying on the cross for our sins. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Christ Jesus is our example of service. He is the one who is worthy of whatever it is we've been called to do. He is the one who is worthy of whatever it is that is laid out before us. Whenever we seek to serve another, our cry is Jesus is worthy. And there is nothing. There is nothing below the child of God when it is done in the name of Christ Jesus. We don't look for status as to what we do or cannot do. We look for opportunity as to what we can do for the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hear me when I say this, and I believe this with everything I have, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving one another. We're never more like Christ than when we are serving. And in fact, Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, The ministry you have, the talents you have, the gifts you have, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, Peter says. The Lord has blessed us with gifts. He's blessed us with talent. He's blessed us with resources. He's blessed us with so many things. And what are we to use those things for? Peter tells us we use those to serve one another. In fact, all of the blessings of God, all of the blessings of God bestowed upon us whether it is gifts, talents, finances, whatever it may be, all of the blessings of God that have been bestowed upon us are given to us for us to be stewards of them and using them for others. God's glory and others' good. He's called us. He sent us to love one another. He sent us to serve one another. Jesus is our example in both of these. But also, we are sent to die. We are sent to die. Jesus was sent to love. Jesus was sent to serve. Jesus was sent to die. And you may say, now that's a a tough one, Josh. Let's talk about this. But let me remind you of Jesus' call to his disciples in John chapter 9. In John, um, excuse me, Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to all, he's not just talking to his disciples, he says to everybody that's listening, everybody that would hear him, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. Now oftentimes we've tried to to fit this verse into our understanding for today and maybe soften the blow of what Jesus is saying a little bit. So denying ourselves and taking up our cross comes to mean something like us dealing with whatever difficulties we may have in life and whatever hard times may be going on for us. we got to take up our cross because it's getting rough lately. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that when you come to me, you must be willing to die to yourself. To die to yourself. Taking up a cross meant you take it to die. 
So if anyone wants to follow me, take up his cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What profit is it for you to gain everything in this world and lose your soul, Jesus says. That we, when we come to him, we must be willing to die to ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German theologian that lived during the time of the Third Reich, did not bow to his, his knee to it, stayed as one against the ways in Germany of Hitler and others. He understood this call clearly, and he said, When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. When Christ calls us, we're to die to ourself. We're to die to our selfish desires. We're to die to our self-righteousness. We're to die to our, our self-interest. We're to consider others greater than ourselves, the Scripture says, for that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what Jesus did for you when He went to the cross. He died considering the interest of others greater than Himself. And so he tells us that we're to die to self-interest. We're to die to self-righteousness. We're to die to selfish gains or selfish desires. We're to die to selfishness, period. And we are to put those things to death. And we are to live for Christ. We're to live for Christ. And here, as we come to the passage, Jesus points us to this very thing. In John 17, he says, as you sent me into the world to love, serve, and die. So I have sent them into the world to love, serve, and die. In the verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus says, for their sake, I will die for them. That they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus becomes the greatest display on the cross of the one who came to love, serve, and die for us. On the cross, you see the greatest display of love of all time, how he gives his life. No greater love than this when a man laid down his life for his brother. On the cross, we see his greatest act of service, for he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, you see his willingness to die to selfishness or whatever other thing and to put himself to death, even give himself to death so that we may have life. You see it all on display on the cross. Jesus was sent to do that. And as he prays in John 17, he says, we are sent to do the same thing. We are sent into a world that is dark. We're sent into a world that is troubling. We're sent into a world that is hating us even as Jesus says. And we're sent into the midst of that world to love, to serve, and to die. To love, to serve, and to die. And he's prayed for us. Jesus has prayed for us. After arriving on the island of Tana, that's why I bring up John G. Patton. After arriving on the island, threats were made almost immediately on his life from those who lived there. Within a few weeks, both his newly married wife, young wife, and his first child had died of fever. John G. Patton was left all alone there. Countless times the cannibals came for him. He hid in trees. 
He hid behind rocks. He sought refuge in so many different places. Over and over, the Lord protected him. And instead of leaving from that place, John G. Patton stayed. Because of his love for God and for those people. Because of his willingness to serve in order to earn favor and merit to them that he may proclaim the gospel. And because of his willingness to live and to die to self-interest and selfish desires. John G. Patton spent his life serving in and among those islands. I remember the first time I read his biography, I've read it several times, the tears welling up as he speaks about the first opportunity he had to administer the Lord's Supper to the new believers of Montana. Among the islands who had trusted him, John G. Patton had said, At that moment, speaking of that opportunity to give out the Lord's Supper, at that moment I placed the bread and the wine into those hands once stained by the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake in the body and blood of our Redeemer's love. He said, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus Himself. The testimony of John G. Patton that he went to serve amongst those people who looked to kill him, losing his wife, losing his child, staying there and seeing them rejoice over Christ. That testimony. That testimony is because he understood what he had been sent to do. And he understood that the Lord had prayed for him. So brothers and sisters, we have been commissioned as well. Commissioned to make disciples of all nations by proclaiming proclaiming God's word as we are sent to love and to serve and to die. I want you to know that I am committed to this with my whole life. I'm committed to this with every ounce that the Lord has given me to love and serve and die as I've been sent by the Lord. And I am most specially now I'm most specially now and here at Taylor's First committed to this. To love, to serve, and to die for the glory of Christ. My only question for you this morning, brothers and sisters, is will you commit with me? God has graciously not only called us to follow Him, He's called us to follow Him together. And as we face the world that is increasingly hating us, if you will. Our call and our task is only more clear. We are to love, we are to serve, and we are to die amongst them for the glory of Christ and the glory of His name. Will you commit to this with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for all that You are and all that You mean to us. We thank You for the calling You place, for the purpose that we have as Your people. We thank You, God, that You have not left us guessing. You've not left us wondering what it is and what we are to do, but You have spoken clearly in Your Word that just as You have sent Jesus, You are sending us. And He came and He loved us. He he served us. He died for us. And so God, help us because of Christ and in light of Him. Help us, Father to love and serve and die among people. 
That Your glory may be seen. That Your name may be renowned. That life may be found in the midst of darkness. God, we thank You. We thank You. If anyone here is looking to follow Jesus this morning, looking to join our church, looking to be a part of what we're doing here, looking to love and serve and die together, go to Christ. I'll be standing here in the front ready to speak to you if need be. But help us now, Father, as we stand together to sing of your glorious love for us. Let's stand and sing.